Take your Bibles now and open them up to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to close out Revelation chapter 2 today. And over here on my left and right, I've still got these Revelation journals. These are empty. They're just lined. There's a spot to put a date in your name, and you can write notes and take notes. You can grab one of these on your way out the door and go home and re-listen to the sermon and put it all together. And the person with the best notes at the end of chapter 3, I'm going to give away a free iPad just because I think it's silly and fun, and it's going to be fun to see who takes the the best notes and uh, like I said my dad's going home every day and he just transcribes everything I say so he's got like 10 notebooks full you know and all that so he's actually not doing that but that's a good idea right there I got the best notes and write commentary on the commentary so hey here's what we're gonna do here's what we're gonna do hopefully you guys brought a helmet to church today we're studying the church at Thyatira last week we studied the church at Pergamos they were the compromising church they'd compromised their theology gotten away from what the word taught and things got weird okay a compromising church today's church is not called the compromising church it's called the straight up corrupt church it's next level correctionary it's hardcore and so when jesus shows up to this church and scans it and gives back the report it's pretty rough i taught last week's sermon the best i could and i think i did god i think i did him honor and I, and I taught it as I see the rest of the scriptures line up. And at the end of the day, I'd lost about seven friends on Facebook. I went on Facebook, and I, had, I usually don't have room. I'm maxed out on Facebook. They have a 5,000 friend limit, so I just can't have friends. And all of a sudden, I was able to have new friends because people weren't my friend anymore. And so I lost seven friends last week. I intend to lose 15 this week. Okay, I'm going to double down. I'm going to double down. And as a matter of fact, let me just, it was so cool. I, I spent this whole last week, I just got back yesterday. I think I got back yesterday. Uh, I spent all, all week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at Camp Wainema with a bunch of middle schoolers, okay, from Portland, from Salem, from all over. There were some from Lincoln, Lincoln County, from, from our church. And me and my son Noah went, and I got a chance to just teach five nights in a row and do all kinds of middle schooler stuff. And man, it was so, so good. God poured his spirit out. Dozens and dozens of kids got saved. Middle schoolers, okay? We're not even sure if middle schoolers have brains. Okay, we don't even know. We just don't know. We don't, we don't know. And I was with these middle schoolers Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and by, by Friday night, and they were crowding up to the front of the stage. They were crowding up to the front. Almost 200 middle schoolers, you know, a little less than this room. Pray, standing up there with me with hands raised, singing praise to Jesus. And, and the way it worked out is I had, I had seven friends exodus from my Facebook uh, life, and, and I met some counselors and some leaders who wanted to be my friend there at Camp Wainema, and I was able to make, make room for them in my life on Facebook. And so some people left. It was an exodus, and some people showed up. And, and, and as I began to then prepare for this sermon, I was like, dang, this sermon's even more hardcore. I had some people from Camp Wainema message me. They said, Luke, you've, met, you've reached 5,000 friends again. There's no room for me. I said, just wait. <laughs> just at the, at the end of today, man, we're going to be best friends. There'll be plenty of room. Oh, no. So we're going to pray. Because I, I want to do, I want to I serve the Lord. So would you, would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we are humbled before you. Oh, Lord. You created us. We, we, we weren't there. You designed us. We weren't there. You made us. We weren't there. Every, everything we have, you, give, you gave to us. We were just born babies in this world. And we made it this far because of you. And so we humble ourselves now and say, wow, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Lord, you're the author and finisher of all things. And Lord, you've made yourself available to us, so available to us in your word this morning, and available to us in your spirit, Lord, that chases us down, and there's no lie you won't tear down, no wall you won't kick down coming after us. We thank you. You've made yourself available to us in your son, Jesus Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And you suffered and you bled and you died so we could be redeemed. And so now, Lord, here at the 9 a.m. service, we humble ourselves before your word. We're gonna open up this letter to Thyatira, Lord. They were off their rocker. They were doing things that they shouldn't do. 
And Lord, while we're going to learn from your report to them, we also want to, Lord, scan that same report on the church, and we want to take that same report to ourselves. So God, I ask for your mercy and your help, and we thank you, Lord, that what we do is done from a foundation, a finished work, that Jesus, you cried out on the cross, it is finished, the purchase price for all of our sins. And now you say, I will in no wise turn anyone away. Come unto me, all you who labor and are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. And so if you're here this morning or you're listening online or Know that the Lord is for you, not against you. He is absolutely in love with you. And so, Lord, we want to read your word now and respond with integrity. I pray for your help. I pray for your joy. I pray for your clarity. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's read verses 18 through 29 out of Revelation chapter 2. I'll read it to you, and I'll try not to make commentary, but I'm not going to promise anything. Oh man. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. These things, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and patience. And as for your works, well, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira. We want to be part of the rest, by the way. <laughs> to the rest. As many as do not have this doctrine. Who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say. I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel as I have also received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the longest letter to the seven churches, and it's to the smallest church. Of all the church sizes, Ephesus, Pergamos, Smyrna, Thyatira, Laodicea, Philadelphia, and you know, all the churches, this is the smallest church, and they get the longest letter. Something tell me they had that short guy syndrome. You know what I'm saying? Like, short, you know, short guy, big attitude, like small church, big problem. And so Jesus said, man, you guys are small, but you sure know how to you know, sin well. You know how to blow it. You know how to freak out. And so Jesus gives the lengthiest letter to this group of Christians that had drifted and gotten out of their lane. Now, as you imagine Jesus, just make sure you unpack this with me. There's lots of nurseries and Sunday schools with pictures of Jesus with the lamb on his shoulder, right? Walking with a dress on, you know, holding some kid's, you know, hand and, you know, giving out fortune cookie statements. Bless you, bless you. You know, there's that picture. You got the picture of Jesus? This is not that picture of Jesus, okay? This is like full riot gear, helmet, flamethrower. I'm here to put a stop to the madness Jesus, okay? This is a different Jesus. This is big Jesus, ruling and reigning from the beginning of the world till now. And he sees everything. As you would and as I would, things are corrupt and out of order. You ever seen things out of order and corrupt in your own life? And you don't just go put a dress on and grab a sheep and walk in and give cookies to everybody. You go suit up. And this is that Jesus. And we that would do well to look at it this way and say, whoa. And let me just give you an illustration that helps me. Have you ever, have you ever just gotten out of control? You ever done stupid stuff before? 
maybe, maybe you're driving a vehicle, you got that music going too loud, and you're just like, man, racing everybody, and you know, you just, you go, no, just me? Okay, maybe these different illustrations. Maybe you're, you're at work or something, just having fun, and you're doing crazy stuff until two things happen, until the boss shows up. You ever just kind of lost your mind at work before, and then the boss shows up, you're like, oh, you know, or you're on I-5 or Highway 20 or 101, and you lost your mind until all of a sudden, you see the blue and red and as soon as the boss shows up or as soon as you see those blue and red lights man two things happen two things happen number one you see your folly differently don't you like you just look down you're like well i'm going 120 on 101 you know <laughs> it's not possible but I mean, you know you see like whoa you see what's happening not only do you see your folly differently when the boss shows up it's a good thing okay you also see the rules and you're reminded of how it's supposed to be differently Whereas before you're thinking, well, I know the rules, but I'm over here because it's all good and dandy. And so two things, you gotta, when the boss shows up, when you read the word, when the scriptures come in, when Jesus sits on your heart because he loves you, when you go to church and you hear something from the Lord through the preacher, he wants you to see your stuff differently. He wants you to look at him like, oh, dude, when you look at it that way, yeah, that is a mess. Darn it, that, 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 has this happened to you? I've done things that after looking at it from a different angle, I'm like, I can't believe I was doing that. And your boss or authority figure sitting there with their arm on your shoulder, you know, squeezing you real hard. And you have a choice to adjust or to defend yourself. And the best thing to do is to adjust, cry out for mercy, okay? When that officer says, can I have your license and registration mercy you know you ever tried to tell the police officer that the speed limit should be faster here there wasn't even kids in this school zone man can't believe it you know that's not gonna work it's not gonna work instead we want to see our folly differently today even i put this sermon together last night i was like dang went to bed at 11 got up at five read it, it was like dang and I was like, Lord, here, I'm here too. There's no one, there's, when he uses that term in here, you have the, the, the woman, the prophetess Jezebel who has taught you guys to act out in sexual immorality. The word there's a junk drawer word. I want you guys to hear that right now. It's, it's a junk drawer word. It's any kind of sexual perversion at all, just like we learned last week. Anything outside of what God illustrates, teaches, and commands, okay, which is heterosexual ma- marriage. That's, all, that's what he teaches. Everything other than that is an aberration of God's creation and gift. And so I, I sat here this morning, I was like, Lord, I, I'm, I'm in my lane, I'm pretty good right now, but I wanna, I wanna be convicted too of my folly. In whatever area, there's folly in Luke Frechette's life. And I also want to, in Jesus' name and by God's grace and, and packed with the pillow of love, I wanna look at the rules. I wanna look at my folly differently. I wanna look at the rules and say, what's the rules? I didn't make them, I'm just the messenger. And, and, and if there's rules that you disagree with in this book, okay, it's because you're wrong. It's that simple. It's because you're wrong and you need to ask God for forgiveness and understanding, grace and temperance. Lord, help me to see what you see. And isn't it crazy? How many of you guys have ever had kids before and tried to show them the rules of your house and your kids think your rules are wrong? Like, what in the world? Kid, where'd you come from? I'll tell you where you came from. You better get back in your room, you know. It's crazy. And we do the same thing. We look at God on his green earth and his blue air and his big universe, and we're like, we're going to make some rules up now. It's our turn. He's like, what? It's, cra- it's crazy. But I get it. I've, I've done it. I've been in my own lane. I've done my own things. I've been caught in folly. I've, I've, all of us have, okay? So here's what, here's what God does for us. He gives us his word to his church. Don't, don't forget the context of what's going on here. John, the revelator, is on the island of Patmos. It's about 100 years old. His churches are far, far away. He can't be there with them. He's devastated. Paul, who planted those churches, John was pastor of those churches. He's praying for those churches. Lord, bless the church. I'm gonna die on this island. And the Lord says, okay, I heard your prayer. Here is a revelation of the end. That's what we're gonna get to in a couple months in Revelation. Wanna know what's going on prophetically. But he says, right now, John, I want you to write this stuff down and give it to the church because they're out of balance. Not every church. Smyrna didn't need a correction. They're the only church in the entire book, besides Philadelphia, that doesn't need a hard correction. They were the persecuted church, by the way. Just kind of put some thought to that. Usually when your weight is heavy, okay, when things aren't going great in your life, there's a good chance 
that you're not going to get out of your lane. There's a good chance you're not going to get out of balance when your dad's chasing you through the sanctuary. <laughs> I, love, I love George and Ezra. So here is how the Lord does this. He gives to us his word. If you've ever read the epistles, Paul wrote to Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Ephesus. He wrote his letters to the churches. Read them. That's, that's our tools, our fuel. He wrote these letters to the churches, and in all the letters, he says, guys, I love you. Man, I just tell, tell these people I said hi, and tell these people they better straighten up, and, and I heard about this. Man, that was so cool, and I heard about this. I'm not really sure that's how it should be. And in each letter, he has correction, and he has commendation. Some of the letters have consequence. When you read God's word, when you wake up every single day, believer or non-believer, because this was a church, this was a Christian church, the church at Thyatira. Jesus starts with commending them. Did you see that? He's like, hey, I commend you guys for five things, your work, love, patience, kindness, and another one in there. He says, I see what's going on. You guys are... It even says you're doing more at the last part than at the first part. You guys are actually being more benevolent, kind. You're writing more checks. You're going to more marches. You have more food pantries. You have more clothing drives than before. Good job. I do see that. Good job. But your love is increasing, but your doctrine is decreasing. Your orthodoxy, your orthopraxy, your theology has been tainted. Now, it's an interesting contrast between Ephesus, who we studied weeks ago, and this church. See, Ephesus had great orthodoxy, orthopraxy, doctrine and theology. I mean, they were killing it, but their love had grown cold. They were doing the right thing, but not for the right reason. And this church was doing things for the right reason, love, but they weren't doing the right things. Interesting contrast. And really, you got to avoid both ditches in any church. You can become so loving, okay, that your truth and your mind falls away and you don't respect the lane just out of an attempt to be more loving, okay? Or you can be so truthful, so dogmatic. Guard the gate, us four, and no more. Bar the door, you know. The holy huddle Bible bubble. <laughs> no, both are wrong. And that's why we read God's word. Okay, and it's easy to look at other people and what they're doing wrong and what's going on in other people, but we really want to look at our own heart. That's kind of where I landed last night and this morning. I'm going to preach the truth in our culture today. We have a culture that is very similar to Thyatira. Okay, there are churches that have lost their doctrinal values, theological stances in the name of love. We'll call the word tolerance. As a matter of fact, in some of your versions, some of your translations, in verse 19, here's exactly what it says. Um, it says this, verse 20. It says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you tolerate. It's an interesting word. It's in the ESV translation, some others. My, my, my version says allow. But that's a buzzword, isn't it? Tolerance. Are you tolerant? Are you a tolerant person? Are you to we're going we're to unpack that to the best of my ability. I'm, I'm going to do my best to help us understand what tolerance means from a Christian point of view within the church and as it's focused on people outside of the church, there's a difference. Okay, if you're a note taker, and I'm hoping you're doing this, and just maybe even jotting down, I love writing big ideas in my Bible. There are four C's that we're going to break down today's teaching. Number one is Christ. Number two is commendation. Number three is correction. Number four is consequence. Okay, it's going to start with Christ. He's going to talk about himself first. It always starts with Christ, and he's going to go into commendation. He's going to say, I see what you're doing. I'm, I'm, stoked. I'm stoked. And then he's going to correct and then he's going to tell them what the consequences are if they don't correct. That's uh, really the way that we should read the scriptures all the time. And so as God scans the, the, the church here and he gives them their report, let me first just uh, make sure we're all in the same, the same field here. Has anybody uh, ever committed a sin in here? Raise your hand. Okay. okay, just making sure. If you didn't raise your hand, it's called a lie, so welcome to the party. And... Uh, Welcome to the party. So we all need to have our hearts scanned because the heart of every issue is an issue of your heart. You guys know that, right? And the Lord's looking at our hearts. He just wants to do ministry within our hearts. And uh, I'll ask you another question, but it doesn't need an answer. If, if you're here and you need heart surgery and you need the Lord to scan your heart again, you're in good company. Let me just give you the, the ways that people approach the scriptures, though. There are three essential ways that people read God's word. Uh, they take it or they leave it, or they change it. 
Those are the three primary ways that people will look at the scriptures. You on any given day could be in any one of those camps. You just take it. That's the truth right there. That's the truth. Well, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. It's because I'm wrong. I got to adjust. I'm going to take it. It's God's word. I'm, I'm at that point in my life. I just take God's word. It's like, dang, that's a big pill to swallow right there. But he's right. Lord, give me the stamina. Give me the endurance. Give me the wisdom. I need to, Lord, thank you. His word is inerrant. It's irrefutable. Okay, there's other people that just leave it. And there's actually millions and millions of people in today's culture they just, they, they close the book. Nah, man, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm successful. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I don't need that. I'm glad it works for you. Good job. But I'm a pretty good person. I don't need, they just leave it. And then the third group, this is the dangerous group. This is the Thyatira group. This could be us at any given time. We don't just take it. We definitely don't leave it, but we change it. We change it. I listened to an interview yesterday on uh, years ago that was conducted between a pastor and a secular talk show host, and he was talking about how he has major respect for religion and for the Bible, and, but he believes that it needs to be brought. The Bible needs to be brought into the, the present time. It needs to be dragged, kicking and screaming, is what he said, into the present time and adapted to fit cultural values today. <laughs> I thought, I, thought I, I hear you, bro. I hear you. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You can't just adapt it. He's like, no, the language needs to be adapted. It's like, that's all this book is, is language, you know, telling us the truth. And so people want to change it. Uh, Thomas Jefferson did this. He would cut parts of the Bible out he didn't like. And I actually met a guy in Ashland. I would um, debate with him. I don't like to debate with people anymore, but I used to debate with him. And he had whole sections of the Bible paper clipped together, okay? All of Peter's writings and all of Paul's writings paper clipped together so he wouldn't accidentally read them, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I was like, no, I think you need those ones, bro. Those are, those are pretty important, you know? And, and it, for him, it was primarily what Peter and Paul both said about taxes and governmental submission. And this guy was a, uh, he was a against the imperial uh, dominance of America, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so he's just like, I'm not going to read that stuff. I said, no. Look, it takes the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And that's what we're, that's what we're doing here. That's what I want to do. I think that's what you want to do. And uh, so we can either take it today or we can leave it or we can change it. And so our goal is to let it instead change us. And uh, so let me just give you a quick background. It's not necessarily that important um, on Thyatira. Thyatira was a city known for its industry of clothing and purple dye. And Lydia, if you remember in Acts chapter 16, was in Philippi. Paul met her and she was from Thyatira and she was a purple seller. And so this region, though, it does kind of make sense for some of the things that they were going through. They had like a, a sweatshop industry up in Thyatira where all the clothing would be made. Okay. As a matter of fact, they call these guilds. It would be like a union. If you lived in Thyatira, you were part of the purple dye clothing industry. This does play into then some of the pressure to compromise and to conform to some of the norms in Thyatira as put out by Jezebel, who's actually not a real person. That was just a spirit of leadership over this particular woman. We don't know much about her. I, I, I don't think her name was Jezebel. I, I just don't think that her uh, parents would have named her that. <laughs> Anyways, we'll, we'll go into that in a minute. So Thyatira had this banging industry with guilds and all the rest, and they had a, uh, they had a temple to Apollo, and uh, so that was the sun god, which is, I, I believe, Jesus called himself in his self-address the son of God. And uh, so there wasn't anything really special about Thyatira as a city like Smyrna or like Ephesus, the educational center of Turkey in that day. But they did have this industry that everyone was a part of. And let me just make sure you hear that because we have a variety of industries here in Lincoln County, a lot of, a lot of different industries. But we do have a, a culture, okay, of workers and a commonplace and if your Christianity overlaps into that commonplace, you will be known for it. It'll stick out some way, one or the other. And there are some cultural norms within our society in America and beyond business and politics and power don't really meld well to Christianity and, and, and temperance and walking with God. And politics and power were what was happening in Thyatira. And if you didn't do what everyone else was doing, you'd get in trouble. And so one of the common practices in those days was that the leaders of Thyatira said, you know what you can have? Both and. You can do both and. Not one or the other. You can actually be a Christian, and you can get involved in all these wonky other things that are going on in the temple of Apollo, in these trade industries. And she came in and said, it's okay. She dumbed down the doctrine of God and of temperance and of Christians being over here in worldly ways, such as paganism, specifically listed here, sexual immorality, eating food sacrificed to idols, and so this woman came and said, don't worry about it. What goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's okay. You can do that. 
I've never been to Vegas, so sorry if you have, but I don't, and I offended you. I don't know what that means. I heard someone say it one time on talk radio, but Thyatira. So I, I mentioned that today we're going to talk a little bit about tolerance, and it's because it comes out of this portion of scripture, verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Let me just make sure I say this at the front end. Here's a definition. This is Webster's. Tolerance means showing willingness to allow the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. Okay? A willingness to allow the existence of opinions or behavior that one does not necessarily agree with. And the real issue for us is where our tolerance is directed. See, there's a difference between those that are outside the church and those that are inside the church. You guys realize that, right? This is a huge precipice and a huge axis that this entire sermon will swing upon. There is a difference between people outside the church and inside the church. And tolerance needs to be directed toward the people outside the church differently than people inside the church. There is a different level of tolerance absolutely necessary and we're going to try and unpack that today, lest we become known as the intolerant church to the wrong people. There is an intolerance that will be demonstrated here, an intolerance towards sexual immorality, things unbiblical, things not right. That tolerance, though, will be given to those who aren't Christians, who aren't following Jesus, who don't believe in the Bible, and we as believers need to make for tolerance towards those people because we can't be the rule keepers for those who have not joined the family of God. And yet there is a mandate for those who are a part of the family of God to have men and women say, hey, we got the rules. This is what we do. And so where is your tolerance directed? Here's what happens. Those outside the church, they're not living under God's ordinances, listen, or his blessing. They're on their own, okay? It's a bad place to be. You don't have to do what God says, but you also don't get what God gives. Now, those who are living in the household of faith, you have to do what he says. And you also get what he gives. You get forgiveness. You get kindness, mercy, forbearance. You get his Holy Spirit. You get all these things. Now, today's society, and this is such a hard, I, I went to bed last night like, okay, Lord, is this the day I lose my job, you know? Not really, but I'll lose some friends. Because today's society, tolerance is an assumed virtue. Like if you don't have an open, tolerant mindset, if you don't agree with and embrace everyone and everything, then you're deemed as bigoted, old-fashioned, hateful, judgmental, discriminatory, discriminatory prejudiced, outdated. You know, that's, that's the label you get if you have a different standard than what the world says you have to have. G.K. Chesterton was a 1800s and 1900s poet and amateur theologian. And he said this, he said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. And again, we're, 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 we're trying to thread, thread the needle here. We live in a society that needs convictions. And slowly but surely, our society, and I don't even need to, uh, we're peeling back layers like, yeah, that's not a conviction anymore. Where once that was an aberration, now it's accepted and celebrated and promoted. Yeah. And eventually, without guidelines, without convictions, th there is no limit to the depravity of man. Have you read the Old Testament? Have you read the New Testament? Have you had your brain scanned? The depravity is rich. You know what I'm saying? Like, crazy stuff. Like, oh. And so God says, no, no. I'm going to give you convictions. I'm going to give you convictions. And I'm just so thankful. And I, and I pray that nobody catches a fire today and, like, decides to go out there on a witch hunt and find some people, you know. Don't do that, okay? This is for you. This is for me. And the Lord is the one who convinces souls and minds. As you stand in his word, stay in your lane and honor him. This, this letter to Thyatira is brutal. He puts some language out there that you can't like sugarcoat. I'm gonna kill your children. 
speaking spiritually, you're going to go into a sick bed of death because of your activity. It's what's going to happen. And yet Jesus interlaces all that and says, I gave you time to repent, but you wouldn't do it. But I want you to repent. And those of you who are there in Thyatira who haven't bought into this stuff, what I want you guys to do is humbly toe the line. Okay, just hold fast. Just keep doing it. He didn't say pull out your sword, go out there and start cutting people up. But he said, I want you to hold fast. I'm going to do this. I think it's a timely word. Let's look how it starts. And this is, again, your fourfold outline. It starts with Christ, commendation, correction, and then consequence. Everything starts with Christ. Look at this. He says, and an angel, verse 18, of the church in Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Jesus, again, self-identifies to this church, saying who he is, exactly what they need. He's the son of God. They were worshiping the God of the sun there. He's like, no, no, I'm the son of God. And by the way, note takers, I can't find any real relevance or application that's gonna change your life necessarily. This is the only time though in the book of Revelation ever where Jesus calls himself the son of God. Okay, he's always the son of man. He's other, he's other titles. He's the morning star. This is the only place in Revelation where he says I'm the son of God. Now in the New Testament, he calls himself that 45 times, which to me, I was just thinking this through how thorough Jesus is. Here's John receiving. Can you imagine John writing this down? Like, did you say you're going to kill their kids? I just kind of want to make sure you said that. Like, yeah, okay, you did? All right, okay, whatever, you know. Like, you have to write this down and not blow it. So he's not just making stuff up. Jesus is articulating himself exactly what this church needs. I'm the son of God. I'm the one with eyes like a flame of fire and feet like brass. Because this is what they needed to hear. I'm the one who sees all with fire eyes. I'm the one who purifies all. I make the rules. I make the decisions. My feet are like brass, immovable. I'm not going anywhere. They needed to hear this strong language about Jesus, and we all need to understand when we come to the Bible or go to make decisions in our life who Jesus is, that it all starts with him. You're not the boss. You're not in control. You don't get to decide where the lane is and what the speed limit was, and you don't get to make those rules. Jesus does. And when you figure this out, that it starts with Jesus, it ends with Jesus, it's all about Jesus, it's all by Jesus, it's all for Jesus, it's all with Jesus, then you can read the next verse. Then you can move on. You can let the Lord sift your heart and become for you what he wants to do. Now, again, Jesus identified to the church at Ephesus. He said, I'm the one who holds the stars and I'm at church. You guys haven't talked to me in a minute since you've been at church, but I'm here with you. They needed to hear that. To the Smyrna church, he said, I'm the one that was dead and is now alive, and I'm the first and the last. I know what it's like to be bullied and murdered also. To the Pergamos church, the compromising church, he said, I'm the sharp two-edged sword. I'm the word of God. You guys need more word. That's what's going on. And to this church, he says, I see everything, and I ain't moving. And let me just make sure you take this with you. Wherever you're at in your journey right now, Jesus self-identifies to you with whatever you need, okay? He's the door. He's the way you get saved. He's the bread of life. He's the water. He's the vine. He's the shepherd. He's the physician. I'm so thankful that in my life, man, I have been doing this for a while, life that is, and Jesus has been for me whatever I needed, okay? Strong correction when I needed it. Strong healing when I needed it. Strong direction when I needed it. So wherever you're at today, maybe you're deep, caught up in stuff and you've got all kinds of sin in your life, Jesus would say, I am deep forgiveness for you. I'm everything you need. Just come to me. It starts with Jesus. No matter where you're at, he self-identifies to each church uniquely and individually and he'll do the exact same thing today. It starts with Jesus. I think it was Friday. Uh, yeah. And I was at Camp Wainema, which is just 20 minutes north of Lincoln City, believe it or not. I had no idea. And I was there on, on day five, day Friday, whatever it was, I took a walk by myself and they have these three crosses overlooking the entire camp. The camp is right here and there's a lake right here and there's some trees right here and the ocean's right there. It's amazing, it's crazy. And, and, and so I walked up this pathway to the crosses and as I came around, I, I rounded the corner and I was behind the crosses looking out. And as soon as I saw the crosses, as soon as I just broke, started weeping. They're really beautiful crosses. And, and it reminded me of Jesus, obviously and his love for me. And I'd been there slaying it all week long, teaching, loving on kids, beating him in basketball, showing him a thing or two, you know. 
knocking ice cream cones out of their hands, <laughs> teaching them hard lessons. And then I got to the top, and the Lord reminded me of what it's all about. I hadn't forgot, but it was so good. It was so good. And, and I just love how we sing worship here at church. We take communion. We read the Bible. This is, this is all gifts that we get to do in our entire lives. Jesus here at the beginning starts with himself. Verse 19, he segues then into the commendation. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. This is so cool. These guys are actually doing good stuff. This is the Christian life, by the way. Okay, we're supposed to be working, supposed to be patient, supposed to be giving, supposed to be doing stuff. This is why we do Hope in the Park when it's not raining because that's probably gonna be canceled this Wednesday. But this is why we do stuff like that. This is why we give away shirts for, for almost free and for 10 bucks if we have to charge for them. And this is why we do clothing drives. And this is why we go into the highways and the byways. And this is why we serve because it's what the church is supposed to be like. And Jesus says, I see what you guys are doing. You're actually loving and you're more loving now than you've ever been before. Good job. I do see that. They're not a lazy church. And again, I, I, I make a mistake sometimes of looking at other churches. You ever done that before? Yeah. What are they doing over there? You know? <laughs> Ugh, you know, and you give them a report card, and the Lord's like, you're not the teacher, bro. And, and, and I want to scan this church. I want God to often scan this church and say, Lord, are we loving still? Are we serving? Are we giving? How, how much money have we given away in 2019? Have we given away enough, Lord? Are we being stingy? Are we being generous enough? How, are we doing a good job? Are we, are we giving away more than before? Have we lost our, our edge? I don't know, Jesus. You're here to tell us how this is your money. This is your building. This is your church. Same, same with all your stuff too, by the way. Recently, I was thinking about tithe and offering, and, and as I was giving my, my offering to the Lord, and, and actually, I bumped it up a little bit, and I committed to doing that to the, for the Lord. And, and the Lord said, I, I appreciate that, but I really want you to just really worship me while you're on your U.S. bank account making those, those buttons type. Because I, I send my check in that way. And he said, I just, I look at, just, just send the check in, that's fine. But, but I want you just to, to love me. Just lo look at what I've given you. I love you, son. I love you. And to be stewards, stewards, I just want to be more loving, more kind. Well, these guys were doing that. These guys were doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Verse 20, though, they put their helmets on. They got to get their cup, you know, inserted and mouthpiece on. Verse 20, nevertheless... Some of your translations say, but I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, again, I don't believe that it was a real woman named Jezebel. It could have been. I could be completely wrong. Most commentators don't think it was a real woman, but more of a, a title. And uh, the real Jezebel, though, we do know who she was. She was uh, King Ahab's wife, and she lived in the year uh, back in 1 Kings chapter 6, uh, 10 through 19. And she was a bad woman. And she corrupted Israel and brought judgment upon them. She corrupted her husband. She corrupted all the worship. And she did things that wasn't uh, good for the children of Israel. And so now we see this influencer, uh, this group, or this one woman, or maybe it was the pastor's wife. We don't know. Those are all assumptions. Nonetheless, though, we see that her doctrine was divisive and seductive, and it caused the servants to commit sexual immorality and things sacrificed to idols. Now, I mentioned this last week. That word sexual immorality is a junk drawer word, but we know historically and we know biblically. Listen, sexual immorality is anything outside of biblical sexuality. Biblical sexuality is one man and one woman committed to each other forever. Okay? There are actually only two things. I, I, I stand corrected. Last week I taught you that there's only one form of biblical sexuality taught, and that is heterosexual biblical marriage. There's actually another one I believe is taught, and that is single abstinence, okay? There are two things taught from the scriptures, illustrated and commanded. Every other aberration underneath that falls into this junk drawer of sexual immorality, okay? Which would include lust, lust acted upon, and lust thought upon. Anybody ever had a lustful thought? Five of you, wow. <laughs> Dang. And I'm one of them, dang, you know. So it includes lust, lustful thoughts, lustful actions. It includes pornography. It would include sex before marriage, fornication. It would include adultery, okay, of the eyes or of the intention of the heart. It would include pedophilia, okay. It would include homosexuality, any kind of transgenderism or confusion of sexes, taking what God has made and saying no and rejecting it and 
following your own aberration, bestiality, all of this is in that same junk drawer of not God's perfect will. Okay, that's what he says. And he calls us all, everybody here, there's not one group that's being called out more than the other. I hope you guys realize that. Okay, every single person has a sexual orientation that needs to be submitted to God and become biblical, okay? Every day and throughout the day. And this is how it works. And yet this lady, this idea was given to the church in Thyatira and she said, you know what, this whole practicing sexual immorality, alternative lifestyles, exploring different ways, that's actually okay is what she was teaching. In order that you don't lose your job, in order that you don't lose your status, in order that you don't lose your guild here in this, this thing we got, so it's okay to do both and, not one or the other. Where Jesus comes along and says, no, it's got to be one or the other. You're either in or out. You're either going to read the scriptures and obey them and adjust or you're going to adjust them, and that's called disobedience. And you can see why uh, they killed Jesus. You can see why they killed all the prophets after him. I mean, you guys realize this, right? This is not a popular thing to say. It's not popular at all. It's actually considered by some who misunderstand it or mishear it, or maybe even some in my position who misstate it, and I'm trying not to, would be considered hate speech, okay? When in reality, it's not, at least not from this pulpit. And it's not from this book. But instead, the Lord loves us and gives us the truth. He says, guys, I'm going to show you where the lane is. Here, here's the speed limit. Here's your lane. Here's the rules. You're not in your lane, and you're not going the speed limit, so we need to adjust so we stay safe. So the question isn't, have we sinned? The question is, do you call your sin sin and then indeed repent as you're commanded to do so? Look at verse 21. And he says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So not only was the church at Thyatira tolerant of sexual immorality, but it was unwilling to listen to correction. And the Lord asked them to repent, gave opportunity to repent. I just want you guys to hear this. This is so good, especially you who maybe are a little more self-righteous than others right now. Maybe you who are a little more legalistic, you got your things figured out, okay, and you're looking at the rest of the world. I want you to understand God's heart towards the rest of the unrepentant world right now. He loves them. The prodigal dad stands at the door every day like, oh, dude, I hope my son comes back today. And when he sees his son repenting, okay, he runs, fires up the barbecue, and begins to take him clothes shopping. He's fired up. And I don't know how your heart is toward those who are outside of the camp of God right now. Maybe you're better than them self-righteous, legalistic. Jesus, no, I'm, I'm actually very patient, okay, with a stiff-necked, dull of hearing. And maybe some, maybe, maybe your self-righteous teetotaler here needs to repent today of your lack of love for the world. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent, verse 21, of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent, okay? We've seen Christ, we've seen the commendation the correction came in verse 20 and 21. Now we're going to see the consequences. Look at verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. There's still grace in this truth message. If they don't figure it out, they're going to be cast into great tribulation, into a sickbed. In the Greek, that word sickbed is actually separated. A sickbed would give a connotation that it's a sexually transmitted disease or something bad's going to happen temporarily, but the sickbed separation actually makes it seem like it's an eternal bed of death and sickness. I don't want either. You know, it's just temporary or forever. I think he's being serious here, and he still says, but she can repent. She can still repent, but if they don't repent, they're going to be held accountable for their deeds. It does use the word here, and for you Bible students who are familiar with the book of Revelation and the rapture theory and the tribulation, he says right here in verse 22 that those who do not repent, and I believe they're talking about non-believers at this point, or people who thought they were believers and were led astray by the doctrine of Jezebel, it says that they will be cast into the great tribulation. I believe the church, those believers, okay, imperfect sinners like me, will be protected from the great tribulation. I believe that's true from the wrath of God. Uh, that's my personal belief. We'll get there as we unpack that. Jesus says again in verse 22, unless they repent, look at verse 23, I will kill her children with death 
And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your work. Stop right there as up here. This, is, this isn't hugs and muffins, Jesus, you know, at the tea party, helping everyone get there, sat down, you know. This is, again, riot gear, flamethrower eyes, Jesus. And what he says is, is that he's going to kill their children. What that means to me is, is what the Bible already teaches. The wages of sin is death. When you sin, death happens. There's, like, no way to avoid it. I don't know if you guys have figured that out. Like, sometimes you can sow wild oats and, like, put a whole bunch of craziness in the ground and then pray for a crop failure. It doesn't work. It always bears death. It's just a rule. And what we're seeing here is that your children, that is your spiritual children, if you act a fool spiritually, there will be spiritual death in your life. It's just the way it is. But God's gift is kindness, grace, forgiveness, and mercy, okay? Even outside of your own works. Did you know that? When you work like a fool, you get a fool's reward. When you call upon the Lord for grace and mercy, he gives you that which you do not deserve. It's nuts. This is what he's begging for. Why would he write this letter to Thyatira? Because he loves them. He doesn't just want to mow him down. Instead, he's like, guys, you guys are, you listened to the wrong, you read the wrong book, went to the wrong church, you listened to the wrong iTunes podcast. You did it wrong. You got swindled. You listened to a cultural norm that served you in one way because you could have both and. You can pretend you're a Christian and live like the world does, and you think it's okay because this prophet has told you so. She's a self-made prophet. She's not even real is what he says. She made herself that. So Jesus says, you know what the fruit is? It's death. Verse 24. Now I say to you, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. I... I I love how Jesus is able to tell what's going on. He doesn't just go in there and wipe them all out. He says, there's guys, there's people completely out of line. I'm going to talk to them. And there's other men and women at Thyatira. You know what I want you guys to do? Humbly, that's what I'm trying to do today. Humbly, toe the line. You going to lose any friends on Facebook today, Luke? Oh, yeah. You going to be misquoted? Probably. You going to be rejected by, by men? Most likely. But I want to do it in humility and love transparency and truth okay I'm, I'm i'm just a needy sinner standing in the need of grace as well and i have rebelled against the lord i've done things foolish things against him and i can say in, in honesty in all my heart though one thing i've never done is tried to tell the lord that my sin is not sin i've never done that i've known i've known no this is wrong luke Frechette. This is a sin, and there's death in my life because of it, okay? Every single, that's what happens every time. God is not mocked. You'll reap what you sow. The principles of life are already in motion. God's not a respecter of persons, okay? You ask for forgiveness and repentance, you're going to get it. They don't deserve it. Nobody does. You think you're smart. You think you're cool. You think you're part of the world, and you think it's okay and accepted and legalized and celebrated and promoted. God says, I don't care. That, that brings death. That brings death. And the Lord says, for you who aren't caught up in that, okay, humbly toe the line. He says something in verse 25. I want you guys who are here listening still. This is good news. Verse 25, but hold fast what you have until I come. It's a small reference. It's actually the first reference, reference in all of Revelation thus far where Jesus says, I'm coming. Okay, I'm, I'm coming back. My second return, I'm coming. Guys, I see. Now, this was written to a church back in the year 100 AD. It actually correlates directly to a time period prophetically in the year 300 to right around 1500 AD, that church period, that time span before the Reformation. I'm not even gonna make any comments about that, but I believe this church ties into that. And Jesus speaks to that church and he says, guys, just... Toe the line. Stay there humbly, okay? You're gonna get slapped in the face. You're gonna get ridiculed. You're gonna get mocked. You're gonna get misunderstood. He's not asking us to go on a rampage. Look at what he says in verse 26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I have also received from my father. Stop right there. Rise up here. He quotes Psalm chapter 2. Talking about the end. Jesus is saying, guys, there is an end. I'm going to be ruling and reigning. And if you stay faithful to me, 
in humility, and in death, you too will reign and rule with me. That same authority that I've received, I'm going to give to you. <laughs> Just listen, please. This is so good. Jesus says, you're going to reign and rule with me forever. Okay, life's short. I don't know if you guys know that. It is short. And after you've been ruling and reigning with the Lord for the first 300,000 years, okay, and then into the next 4 million years, and then in the next 10 billion years, you're going to look back at this little life where you might have had to suffer, might have had to make a few decisions, might have had to do without, might have had to be looked at different. You're going to look at this life and say, that wasn't that bad. That wasn't that long at all. That wasn't that long at all. Verse 26, I want you to see this again. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the power to rule over the nations. There is a lot more to come than this life. And I believe that the majority of us here this morning aren't battling with some crazy, dark, underground sin, you know. Maybe you just need an encouragement to just keep the things of the flesh at bay, just those little things, those little second glances, those little lustful thoughts, those little perverse relationships at work or whatever you got going on, on your computer. There's so much temptation out there. There's so much going on. Whatever it is, as a Christian here today, say, Lord, enough. I'm going to toe the line. I don't want both and. I want either or. I want the world or God. And I want God. I'm choosing for the Lord. I want Jesus in my life. Stay the course. Verse 28, he says, I will give to him the morning star. The morning star is actually a reference, a title directly linked to Jesus himself. I just need you to hear this. The person who overcomes sexual immorality, division, and rebellion, you know what you get? Jesus. I'm going to say something. Is Jesus enough? Dude, there are counterfeits galore that will never satisfy. They won't fill your tank. They won't give you what you want. That extra look, that extra relationship, that thing on the side, it'll never satisfy. But you can rock up to the mountains and go look at some crosses and meet with Jesus and be full to the top. So full your eyes begin to leak. Jesus. He ends this the same way he ends everything. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the church, Jesus is talking, are we listening? The big idea is not to change God's word, but to let God's word change us. That's the big idea. Now let me just, I'm, I'm going to go over time, and I'm going to do it anyways. Because I want you guys to really just ponder this, because you're going to be attacked. I'm going to be attacked in our, in our tolerance. Let me give you three things about tolerance. Number one, we do tolerate society and culture, okay? Society and culture are not not part of the family of God. They're doing their own thing. We cannot mandate that everyone love Jesus. We can't make it a law that you love Jesus. That won't work, okay? So we tolerate that which is outside of the camp of God. They can do whatever they want, okay? Don't attack them. Don't impose your beliefs on them. I'm say it this way. Don't impose your beliefs on them, but propose your beliefs to them, okay? Propose it. Make yourself salty make, in, in the right way, flavorful. Make yourself loving. Hey, I can't impose it. You're out there. Have no, that's fine. Go ahead. Is it okay if I do this? Yeah, it's totally okay if you do that. You're, part, you're out there. You can do whatever you want. Here's what I believe over here. So we do tolerate society. This is a small note. I'm just going to make it because it's in my notes and I'll feel bad if I don't say it. But uh, we do tolerate also other churches that operate differently than ours in their secondary issues. There's other churches that do things differently. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if we attacked other churches that love Jesus? Okay? But they did things differently. Maybe they had small church, big church. Maybe they had, you know, online church. Just, but their church... We can tolerate people. I'll, I'll, I'll use this illustration that I just recently read. There are state lines within churches, and then there are national lines. And we defend the national lines, not the state lines. The state lines of churches would be Baptist, Foursquare, Nazarene, Assembly of God, Calvary Chapel, a bunch of different states within the United Church, okay? Man, that's so cool. You guys are Foursquare. That's so cool. You're Nazarene. That's awesome. I'm going to love you guys. You do it a little differently than I do. Secondary issues. National borders outside of what is the church, Okay. We're going to defend those borders. We're going to, we give tolerance, though, to other churches, okay? Here's what we're not tolerant with, and this is important you hear this. Online viewers who are mad at me right now. Okay, we're not tolerant within the church when someone proposes or practices heresy or immorality, okay? We will tell you the truth. Oh, no, you're wrong. Absolutely wrong, and we love you. That's not how it goes here. We do not tolerate that as truth here. You want to live that way? Okay? Guess what? Here's what happens, by the way. Christianity starts with tolerance. 
Starts with tolerance. Everybody, come on, Sunday. Woo, everybody, come in, come in, come in, come in. And then it moves to repentance. Okay, every single person in the whole entire world is allowed at church here on Sundays. Everybody, everybody, everybody. But if you want to go into the other circles and other groups of leadership and involvement and authority, okay, you need to come under the submission and authority of God's word. And you need to adjust. We tolerate everybody, okay? But then we move towards repentance. We bring our lives into submission to God. And that's what allows you to go into the, the, the next levels of growth and maturity and fruit producing. And so when somebody comes to the church and says, this is how it is and this is what's true for me, we say, oh no, that's, that's heresy. You're welcome at, at church on Sundays though. Absolutely. I'll tell one story that I, hopefully I don't regret telling. My pastor was approached by two homosexual men at the Ashton Christian Fellowship years ago. And they came up to him and said, we're homosexuals. How do you feel about that? And he looked him in the eye and said, I'm fat. How do you feel about that? <laughs> and he said, when the Bible talks about self-control and gluttony, I will preach a sermon to me. I will preach it. And I will be convicted of my sins every time. And when the Bible talks about your sin, I will look for you. And I will preach to you. And they said, oh, fair enough. And how they're processing that, I don't know. But that was his response. We're all welcome here to receive God's word for us. Now, I just want you to see this because, again, somebody's not going to like it. Somebody's like, you guys are intolerant. You're bigoted and small-minded. Let me just help, help you understand why this is so important, okay? Let me give you a couple ways in the world today you too will face intolerance. Have you ever tried to smoke a cigarette inside the hospital? On the third floor of our brand new hospital, they have this area be outside of the elevator before the ICU. And it's this little waiting area. There's nothing medical going on. I think it would be a great place to enjoy cigarettes. Okay? It's not going to happen. You know why? They have a deeply held prejudice against cigarettes. Okay? It's a value that they hold, and they are intolerant to smoking cigarettes inside, inside the hospital. It's, it's, it's not okay. Outside the hospital, there's places to smoke. I don't know about them because I don't smoke, but it happens. Okay, there's a prejudice there. There's an intolerance because it's not the right thing to do in the hospital. Did you know that there is an intolerance towards getting drunk and driving a school bus? It's not okay. It's not okay. Did you know there's an intolerance to being illiterate and becoming a teacher? You have to be able to read, write, and spell to become a teacher. There's an intolerance to those who can't read and write. You can't, you oh, yeah, you don't get to teach, sorry. So, so we accept these values, don't we? We're like, yeah, that's, that makes sense. We accept those. I'm going to have Pastor Marty come up because I've gone too long, and we're going to take communion now. But I want us to understand, this is a hard conversation, and we live in a society that needs to not just put our heads in the sand and not have this conversation. Jesus has equipped the church with everything. And right now, let me just make sure, I'm going to say one more thing because I think it's important. There are most of us here this morning that categorically, you track with this and you agree. Categorically, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay? But listen, practically, it's a battle because you have a child that has explored an alternative lifestyle because you have a grandchild that has explored an alternative lifestyle because maybe you yourself wrestle with these things, these aberrations, these things in your life. And for you, it's like, Lord, Lord, I believe this. And Luke, I actually believe that, but you don't understand my house. You don't understand it. All I'm gonna say to you is this, okay? Humbly, Reach out with love. As a matter of fact, the only thing I could do today to stand up here and give this message is say, Lord, I believe you and your ability beyond me and my ability. If it were me and my ability to scan the audience and figure it out and give people what they're to do next, oh man, I quit. That's not my job. And you moms and you grandparents and you, you kids and you people, maybe, you are, maybe you're a kid here and your parents have gone crazy. And you're like, I know this is true, but now I've got a loved one that's out to lunch. Hey, I just, you need to come to Jesus too. Don't let what your family or your friends are doing rock you. You're that group in Thyatira that Jesus has just told the line. Love never fails. First Corinthians 13, 8. Love covers the multitude of sins. There are stories by the myriad of men and women who through the love of Christ have been healed from their sins delivered, who have their hearts softened, ears open, necks turn toward the Lord. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, in Jesus' name, now we're going to take communion. We believe, Lord, that as we take communion, we look back at what you've done. 
for the church, for the people on the inside, the ones who've been forgiven, the ones who looked at their sin and said, oh yeah, that's sin. Absolutely. And Lord, you've forgiven us of that sin. And so we take now the cup and the bread. Lord, we invite you into South Beach Church and we invite you into Lincoln County and Newport. Lord, this is not an easy conversation. And I do not want to tread lightly. And so, Lord, we ask that you would anoint us to be a church full of love and truth. May we not be high and mighty, for if we are, we will be brought low. May we not, Lord, be compromised, for if we are, we'll see death. And so, Lord, would you give us discernment and understanding. We trust you for all these things, Lord. And as we take communion now, we simply celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.